It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is True Penny. This is my show. And welcome to the True Penny Show Guide to Being Locked In with Coronavirus Week 3. <laughs> We have had new restrictions in the United Kingdom this week. We have not left the house, have you, Alex? I have d- absolutely not. <laughs> None of us have ever left that one. Well, no, we've had our daily exercise. My daily exercise consists of a two and a half hour walk. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been a bit grim here, and it's a bit grim everywhere else. So what we thought we'd do, as we have been doing these last few weeks, is give you some free stuff to watch. You can find online. You don't have to spend any money on. You don't have to have subscription channels for. And it's we're doing that as a service to give us something to talk about, which is entertaining and fun, and also to give you something to watch, which might be interesting and important to pro wrestling history. So last week, we had the second episode of Brit Rest is Dead with Cy. Um, and we're also talking today about Ring of Honor, because Ring of Honor having their 18th anniversary, 18 years of Ring of Honor, hard to believe mm. since that mm-hmm. main event. Yeah. Crazy year, but um, and they have released a couple of DVD length uh, episodes on YouTube of some historic matches. They cover a load of big name stars from the early to early to mid 2000 and 2010s. So to help me go through these two that we've picked today, which is our Steen Arico episode, please, <laughs> please welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Alex Watts. How are you, sir? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a little while, I think. Yes, it has. January, I understand. Oh, wow, it has been a little while then. <laughs> now, now that we're locked indoors, all of a sudden I've got loads more time to watch wrestling. But there's no football on either. There is no football on. It's very strange when you structure your weekends basically around the football. <laughs> it is a thing to you, because I don't really follow sports other than bike sport, and occasionally I'll go back and watch an old race. Do you go back and watch old football matches, or is it? Because you don't really do that, do you? You know, um, more so at the moment. Like, obviously, I have um, the football podcast with my wife. Did it cross the line? Plug that quickly. <laughs> we we've done like some retrospective episodes the last couple of weeks, looking at like picking like players who've inspired us and stuff like that. So I think it's that is going to become more of a thing. I know, like. Euro 96, I believe. ITV are going to re-air the whole thing uh, in May. I think it is. So it's definitely now, yeah, nostalgia is becoming a big thing in football as well as as well as well wrestling. We were discussing that last week. Me and Si were talking about getting you and Rebecca to watch a wrestling match while we watched a football match because neither was any interest in football at all and give commentary on it. I'm just like, well, there's 22 blokes. There's uh, some grass and ball. <laughs> <laughs> I just like pick a a particularly like dramatic match though, and you'll probably you'll get into it because of the pro wrestling side of stuff. (laughs) Like the 89 89 last Arsenal Liverpool match or something like that. Like really famous. I mean, not not that one, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Through the championship away on in the last thirty seconds. No, 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 not not that one. No. Um, Yeah, sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, so we've got we these two cards. We open in these woods. City's crying. Um, <laughs> we've got these to watch out. <laughs> We're looking at the Generico one first, purely because it chronologically comes first. So 
the in fact it goes back to 2008 good god this is an age ago uh the first match on the card is el generico versus kotribushi now obviously both of these gentlemen the current intercontinental and former intercontinental champions of wwe and ngpw are quite important in the wrestling industry some 12 years later and to be honest, don't look that much difference. Ikotrabushi has now got shoulders as wide as a Mack truck. But, uh, <laughs> are we sticking to kayfabe? What, that Generico? Well, I mean, yes. Generico was incredible. It is a shame he retired to take care of the orphans down in Mexico. We may never know what could have been of <laughs> such a great career. However, his young protege, Sami Zayn, uh, who remar- wrestles remarkably like El Generico, and has yeah. a very similar and <laughs> skinny, tough guy look, um, does wrestle in very much a similar sense. And he, he looks very much the same. <laughs> ordinary, ordinary bloke, really. Um, you know, but, on a by the time. way, it's so... <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Um, Kevin Owens slash Kevin C. Steen, however we're referring to him in this podcast, but he um, made that joke on a Stone Cold podcast a few years ago um, that, you know, El Generico had gone to take care of the orphans in Mexico. And it's clear that Steve had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> I just didn't get the joke at all. But Kevin was just committed to it throughout the podcast that he wouldn't like refer make, you know, refer to Sami Zayn and El Generico in like the same sentence at all. We should talk about them too. They actually come actually out of the, the same Quebec scene that also fostered the current dark order of AEW uh, player, player Doss and um, Stu, his name, his second name begins me. I was thinking about this before we started to make sure I, I got his name right. Stu, him. Anyway, uh, they came out of the same Quebec <laughs> scene. <laughs> Stu Grayson, there you go. Stu Grayson, who was player Uno originally. Um, yeah, I uh, know oh player Dos. He was player Dos. Player Uno is still the one around, isn't he? Uh, yeah. So El Generico, Kevin Steen, player Uno, uh, Super Smash Brothers, and player, player Dos were uh, came out of that Quebec scene. Um, it was a very strong local scene. They started breaking out all four of them, and then unfortunately, the Super Smash Brothers ran aground when they took one two bookings one two bookings without a visa too many. And we're grounded in North America. Um, and some, a fate, thankfully, that Steen and Generico avoided. Um, mm. However, in 2008 to around about 2010, they were strong Ring of Honor like regulars. They were getting to the point of being mid-carders. Um, and, but they the kind of really weren't going anywhere. The, the, the general feeling on them at the time was that they just weren't good enough for Ring of Honor. Um, and that was something that both of them talked about in interviews around about that same time period, especially Steam, not so much Generico, because he didn't do too many interviews for obvious reasons. <laughs> he speaks Spanish. Um, and <laughs> uh, they didn't really kind of catch on with the Ring of Order audience. And this, well, this is what makes, it fascinates me about watching these, these uh, matches, especially the Generico ones, because they come from that time period, is that now looking back at it, I don't think they were good enough. Actually, they weren't as good as when they came back. When they went away, did some other things with Dragon Gate and one thing and another, and then came back, they were fantastic. But actually, I could quite easily see why the not good enough tag, which may have been unfair, was attached to them. That's my personal take, having watched all these matches. But there's a That's- marked difference between 2010 and 2013. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you can definitely see the growth as yeah. particularly Generico as a performer across like the spread of matches that we're going to talk about. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, I think, because I think they were they were both re- really good minds for the business. Like when you think of like the feud they put together, which we'll delve into in a bit, um, and how like lengthily they planned this stuff out and thought about the nuances within it. Um, but yeah, they were very young at the time as well. Like because Steen started when he was like sixteen or something, didn't he? Yeah. And this is um, this is always the fresh facial mob. No tattoos on Steen. Generico's. You know, he looks young. Even with a mm. mask on, he looks very young. He's and so, so skinny. So skinny. Even what people will look at Sami Zayn now, and he's doesn't still not... He's not muscly, is he? But at the time, he was... You know, there was barely anything of him. No, this too. Right, well, the first match starts at return engagement, which was on the 19th of August. Uh, sorry, fourth, sorry, 19th of April in 2008. I'll get that right. American dating, get catching me out there. <laughs> El Generico and Kotrabushi. Now, obviously, Kotrabushi was phenomenal in this time period. He was on a short excursion to Ring of Honor and he lost all his matches in his run. Um, I think he'd been on vacation from DDT uh, for a while. And this was a pretty good, solid outing for what it was. I think you both see that there's potential in both of them. They're both due for growth and they weren't as crisp storytellers as they are these days. What was your thoughts on this match, Alex? That that was exactly my thinking watching it because this is twelve years ago this happened, which is pretty crazy <laughs> to think about. Um, and I think, yeah, at the time they were they were both quite young, you know. It was an exciting matchup at the time. But if this happened, you know, now or maybe a few years ago when Sammy hadn't been shat on so much by WWE, um, it would have been like a bona fide dream match. Whereas at the time, like you say, it was two young guys with loads of potential, a lot of buzz around them having a very good match because they were able to do insane stuff. And it was pretty damn good for what it was. You know, they're both nutters. So (laughs) that kind of worked with them against each other. Um, But yeah, Bushi is, he must've been like 24, 25 here. So his boyish good looks are even more <laughs> pronounced than usual in this one. Um, and yeah, y- you can see they they haven't hit their prime yet, but you see those moments of absolute brilliance, you know, the closing stretch in particular where they both fire up and start going back and forth with strikes and counters. Um, Ibushi starts busting out some of his crazy stuff, you know, he counters like the top rope brain buster into a reverse Rana, which, you know, 2008, I'm not sure you were seeing that so much. You know, you certainly weren't seeing it every other week like you are now, um, from what I remember anyway. Um, and it's interesting, it's interesting watching, all, you know, all these matches from like the Ring of Honor period, because um, we'll maybe do some more of these, you know, Ring of Honor put a bunch of these on their channel and, watching the style and how it's developed since then because I think now people would maybe level at 
sort of this US strong style that it's gone maybe too far <laughs> in one direction. Like you look at, say, the NXT title match between Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa recently, and like the finisher kickouts and the quick recoveries were ridiculous. Like, you know, there was like Canadian destroyers on the floor that people were recovering from instantly. And it's it actually took me out of the match a bit, whereas here it was like wild moves, but there seemed to be a bit more logic behind it. Even in this one where it was like very young guys trying to be impressive, I guess, because it's also interesting to watch. Um, like the fans are losing their mind at the stuff that Abushi's doing, which now we just know as his moves. Um, if that makes sense, you know, the Phoenix Splash, the double moon soul, all this stuff, it's just so intrinsically linked with him. But they hadn't, those fans won't have really seen him do that stuff before at the time. No, I mean, just to interrupt you there, but I had the same reaction. He was in the Raid of Aldoras in Chikara in. 2011 and mm-hmm. it was he won it that year I'm pretty sure it was him and Austin Aries in the finals and it was literally like a record come off a different planet and we're mm-hmm. talking CW arena and no one has seen anything like it in Philly yeah and it's like it was the, it was kind of reminded you the reaction people used to have to Sabu and Hayabusa when they were trading the boards in ECW back in the two, mid 2000s it was that kind of effect um, and yeah, I think as well, you know, I think to be honest with you, having like, if you look at Shikara from this time period, and you look at Ring of Honor from this time period, there is very obviously both East Coast indie promotions. So they tend to use very similar talent. And I think I still prefer Shikara over Ring of Honor just because it's more fun. There's less pressure, whereas mm. this seems to be a much more high-pressure product, the fans expect so much. You can tell, because they don't react to anything until, like, the the layout of the match. And the seven or eight minutes in, when you know in the home stretch, then they start to get excited. You know, yeah. they don't get it at all until right to the end. Fans are so demanding. And, like, the Shikara stuff I've seen at the same time period, people love Shikara. They're there to have a laugh. They're there to enjoy themselves. So the pressure's not quite there. So it's kind of the it, same I, with PWG as well, I think. Yeah, which obviously Steen, Steen Erico, Generico and Steen were the the best tag team PWG produced in that time period and the best two singles champions they had as well. Mm. Um, so they were the guys that helped put that company on the map. Their famous ladder match in PWG where Kevin Steen pulled the actual roof out of the rafters <laughs> at some point when he pulled the belt down. Um, and they went on a promo afterwards and they said, oh, I knew when us two got together in PWG, we'd blow the roof off the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. I think here you've got two guys you would love to see wrestle each other now. It was a dream match now, but back then it was a different kind of format, wasn't it? And I think, I think mm. the, you're right about that pressure thing. It reminded me of watching a rookies match in AJW in 1992. You know, you are... You are in the biggest wrestling company in the world with the best wrestlers who ever lived. Now try and prove yourself. And it was very much like that. It seemed to be, you could feel the pressure in this kind of matchup. Yeah, I think, because Ring of Honor was basically stepped into the whole ECW left, right, in terms of that hardcore fan base. Obviously different style of wrestling. They went completely the opposite way of, particularly initially of being, we're going to be completely 
different we're going to focus on wrestling and obviously as it developed it evolved and brought a lot more of the hardcore stuff in as it went but i think that's why a lot of that fan base kind of um migrated across and obviously they were running the same sort of territories in on that east coast you know new york and philadelphia and places like that so yeah i think that's where the pressure came from and it was at this time the place to be in the u.s and particularly you know how many guys went on to you know i guess bigger and better things you know some of the biggest stars of the last 15 years who've like gone on and done big things in wwe came through ring of honor first and really made their name there so you know because from my perspective ring of honor was kind of the thing that introduced me to wrestling you know expanded my love of wrestling basically at a time <laughs> when because it was a time when wwe was shit <laughs> basically it's a time when you know jbl was yeah. champion and and triple h was champion that's when i discovered it and i think a lot of people probably had the same thing and that's kind of where the pressure then comes from particularly when you know they're bringing in you know japanese names as well um which got bigger and bigger as they went along you know they got kenta and marafuji and kenta kobashi we're going to talk about Shinsuke Nakamura and people like that later on. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of seen as the proving ground, I think. So, yeah, the, the pressure thing, I, I definitely agree with. Yeah, I think we should probably move on to the next match, which is, of course, the never-ending story. This was the first big blow-off battle between Kevin Steen and El Generico in Ring of Honor after <laughs> Steen had turned on Generico a year before. It involved Steve Carino, it involved eventually Jimmy Jacobs. It was a story that told through, it took three or four years to develop. Cockabana as well. And Cockabana too. And, and, and end up with a departure for both Generico and Steen, thanks to other reasons which we'll get to shortly. But mm. this was the first big blow-off match they had. It was on the 18th of uh, December in 2010. And it was... A loser leaves Ring of Honor. Well, if Kevin Steen lost, he would leave Ring of Honor. And if El Generico lost, he would lose his mask. And as we found out, Kevin Steen was the person that lost. And it is an excellent wrestling match. It is very scrappy. It's not clean and it's not crisp. And I think it's a tad over long. But this is, I'm not the fan that you are, Alex. So please don't like denigrate me. I'm coming at it as from a... A, story, a match by itself rather than a storyline point of view. I can clearly That's see right. why it needed. To be, <laughs> I can clearly see why it needed to be forty minutes. But if you're watching it just as a as a, a match, it could have done to have been about twenty minutes shorter. And there is an awful lot of false finishes to the point of incredulity. Like you were saying about NXT's current mm. products at the minute, this is kind of the this is the kind of the thing that set a trend and not in a good way. This should have been seen as a one off, not not the way to do things. If you see what I mean. Yeah, just my I think opinion. I agree with you. I think it it fits a match like this because of the story around it. But you're right that then that seemed to <laughs> evolve into every match ever at a certain point. When you know this is a a blood feud, I think you can you yeah. can earn those kickouts a little bit more when there's you know you've built up a story for a year and there's so much riding on it in the context of the match. Have you have you heard the Al Snow story about the seven point plan? I don't think so. Go on. Al Snow um, 
you know, denzine of indie wrestling as he is these days, still does the occasional indie wrestling shot, you know, if something interesting comes up. And he was in the locker room one day, and on a whiteboard in the locker room was a seven-point plan on how to have a great match. And okay. He was, he was asked, what's, like, what's the deal here? And he says, well, you know, it's a seven-point plan after a great match. It's pretty standard. I've, I've heard about it in different locker rooms. And he's going like, but that makes no sense. He said, why? Because I could go out there, we have our seven-point plan, and the crowd's dead. What do we do then? Oh. <laughs> <In> the <response. laughs> could have had a fire alarm might have not been any hot dogs at the hot dog stand they could be miserable so then our seven point plan isn't going to work is it oh was the response and he, mm. he rallied against mm. it because and Raoul's quite right there is, should be no seven point plan you should write the story of the match to match the situation every time either you're doing it on the fly old school style or doing it with a specific point in mind your whole part art of it is trying to predict what the crowd are going to be like or actually changing things on the flight to make sure it fits what the crowd wants to do because the crowd as jr has often said are the lyrics to your music so you mm. have to have them around to make it work um I so yeah it's not it's not a huge surprise that this doesn't happen so much anymore because you look at mainstream u.s wrestling where they almost ignore what the crowd are doing nowadays which yeah. is like yeah. we say completely goes against the logic of wrestling yeah because they can't because if you're doing mainstream televised production wrestling you have to do the things that direct need you direct needs you to do and they have to happen at certain points and once you set that all in stone it's got to happen because that's where the cameraman will be which makes production super slick and smooth but makes wrestling very boring. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this match is a good example of where the stuff that was, all of this worked in the context it was in. But much like government policy, you can't take policy from one place and stick it in somewhere else. No, it works. It doesn't work <laughs> like that. Adapt it for the culture you're in. Quick educational theory story for you. Back in the day, there was international pe- petri tests. I can't remember exactly the name. Pyrotests, that's it. There were international pyrotests held every year. And one year, South Korea got something like 85% point average and Hawaii got like 32. Okay? And right. the Hawaiian Secretary, Educational Secretary of State was going, well, why is it working in South Korea and why is it not working here? Uh, we should do exactly what they do in South Korea, which is, of course, a class of 50 with one teacher. And that's how we can, we can save money because we don't need as many teachers and uh, the kids will learn better. Taking into not taking into account that South Korean children never question their teacher. They turn up, they sit down, they do their work, they go home. Mm. <laughs> and you take a bunch of Hawaiian teenagers, and you can imagine what's going to happen when there's fifty of them in a room or one teacher. They hired all the teachers back within a fortnight, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what happens. You know, you get ideas that are rolled out in policies, but also in wrestling. If you look at who's in the performance center now and who is offering advice on production and booking, it's people like Steve Carino, who will mm. probably have an awful lot mm. of production advice for this match as he was involved in it. So, you know, it's, it, it's not necessarily the way things should work in modern wrestling, but this is a good example of a match that kind of changed the way people thought about storytelling in wrestling. And it kind of got adapted to everything when it probably should have just been <clears throat> left alone in context. Sorry, I'm ranting. Carry on. No, it's all right. Um, it's all right. I think it's interesting in terms of if 
if I can go back slightly and talk about like the wider concept con concept of the um the Steam Generico stuff because I think it it's definitely interesting that they were able to keep this feud going for as long as they did particularly with like Jim Cornette in the background um who famously not a fan of either of these guys um and that is something that they've both spoken about a lot or anyone else involved in this feud at all yeah um and i mean first of all like we were obviously talking about we wanted to do a podcast like this talk about two guys from ring of honor and we we spoke about you know various options but as soon as you said el generico as your pick, it seemed wrong if I didn't then pick Kevin Steen because their careers are so intrinsically linked. And, you know, the two two of the batches on this thing, you know, one on each of their their career retrospectives are against the other. Um, and I do think this feud they put together was maybe one of the best independent wrestling feuds, maybe the best independent wrestling feud of the last sort of 10, 15 years which I'd be interested to <laughs> to know your take on that as we go. But I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I think it's very, very good. I think mm. it's better if they mm. do it now, but they can't do it now because they're in an environment where they can't tell the story they want to tell. If that which makes is, sense. Which is interesting because you would say maybe they were in that environment at the time, and the thing. I think that worked in their advantage from what Kevin Steen has said that this year yeah. that Cornette cared about them so little that he just let them do whatever they wanted to do and just didn't interfere at all. It's very much a ask for forgiveness, don't ask for permission kind of deal with this. And I think that's that was really important to them. I think as well it was it wasn't an independent wrestling feud. It was a territory mm-hmm. feud. It was a 1970s, 1980s feud because they did it in Quebec how many times? Then they went mm-hmm. to PWG to find it to the next level. Then they take it to Ring of Honor. You know, they literally did it in every major indie promotion in Japan. Well, I think they, I think they even did it a little bit in Dragon Gate, not as much as they did anywhere else. But, you know, they got the chance to retell this story three or four times and it was going to get better every time. And mm. then when they get to the WWE, they can produce. It's not the same. The stories they've told in WWE with this feud in NXT and in and on the main roster isn't the same story quite because obviously it's not El Generico, but it, they can't <laughs> tell it exactly what they want to. But they can tell it in a way that's palatable to mainstream audiences, and they've got a long, they've got a lot more out of it than two indie guys from Quebec should have done. But I think a lot of it came down to the fact that is. You know, it it was Lawler versus Funk. You know, they did it mm. in Memphis, they did it in Texas, and then it it had legs, so they did it in Florida. You know, a very much old school way of thinking, an old school way of developing it, moving it to a bigger and bigger territory each time. And once you got Steen, you got Generico, or if you got Gene, if you got Generico, you got Steen, and both of them were quite willing to put everything on the line in a match to make it work, and that's how this worked. Yeah, and that's I think that's. I would say is a strength because you don't you don't see that so much you know certainly at the time you didn't see that so much certainly there were guys who would be known for working against each other but to carry essentially a bitter blood feud across that many years across those many promotions and it's not just 
oh, these guys always work well together. You know, let's put them together in every promotion, which is kind of what happened with uh, Punk and Cabana, for instance, because they both came up. um, So they would work together a lot throughout the territories as they were starting. But it wasn't a feud. You know, it was just they were friends who worked well together consistently. So that's why it happened. And they obviously travelled <laughs> to every show pretty much together. So, yeah, I, I think it was really impressive. And to do it with this backdrop of Cornette not liking them. Because, I mean, to talk about, like, the turn, for me, like, Kevin Steen turning on El Generico is one of the best angles Ring of Honor have ever done, probably. You know, it might be the best fake retirement angle ever. I know people love um, that Mark Henry one in WWE, and understandably so, but I think this was just, there was so much they they built to this for months, the idea that Steam was losing his passion for wrestling, and then he just pulls the trigger on that turn, and the reaction from the fans when, obviously, him and Generico had been together as a team, this sort of odd couple team for years okay. in Ring of Honor, um, which, yeah, again, a different way of doing a tag team that you don't, you didn't really see um, that worked really well because they were so intrinsically different as characters. And then that makes the feud on the back of it work even better. Um, but yeah, I think the turn's amazing. And the fact they kept that going for a year into the match, this match at Final Battle 2010, which we'll talk about, um, and I know that the reason it got made um, the Korea versus mask match was the one time that Jim Cornette actually got involved in the feud where he basically said, this is how this has to end. And basically they knew that this was pretty much an excuse that this gave him a reason to get rid of Kevin Steen and get him out of his hair for six months, a year. But the problem was, the problem was, as um, Steen has said in interviews, that he, it was the perfect ending. And he'd basically written himself into a corner where the character he'd created, which was, <clears throat> he was a horrible heel at this time, like probably even worse. And, you know, people know him from WWE and that kind of stuff. But it was that turned up even more because he could obviously get away with more on in Ring of Honor and on the independent scene. Um, and yet the only way for it to end was for him to lose that match and lose his career with Ring of Honor, at least for, um, I think it ended up being about a year in the end because Cornette kept coming up with excuses not to bring him back. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's the one time Cornette did get involved in the feud anyway. Um <laughs> In yeah, terms I, of, I, mean, I was going to say it, the connecting <laughs> thing, the connect issue is is impressive because it gets more. There's more twists and turns when Steen comes back, which we'll talk about in the Steen mm. uh, retrospect. But I think you know as well, like the. Cornette wasn't stupid. He saw that both of them were massively over. He knew Steen was a problem from the <laughs> HR view, but they were making him money. Um, mm. and making the money and certainly Generico was probably easier to deal with which kind of leads us to the next match which is Chris Daniels versus El Generico for the World Television Championship in 2011 when the heat had died down somewhat <laughs> mm. I mean just to, say something? just to stick with this match for a second I mean to talk about the match itself because you said you're not sure if it's like the perfect 
it's it's a it's a very good match, but is it a great match? And I know that's kind of the attitude that they have about it as well. And maybe that's because it's wrapped up in all this other stuff <laughs> around it, you know, that that maybe taints it for them slightly. But I think it was the perfect match for that moment. And I think you can see it is, again, it is two younger guys still learning their craft. Um, but like I spoke about, I think the finisher kickouts and that kind of drama is fine in this kind of environment. Um, like watching it again, because it's been years since I watched it, I didn't realise like how early steam started bleeding. You know, I thought that was much deeper in the match, but it's in like the first couple of minutes. Um, and yeah, some of the stuff they're doing is is just brutal. And, you know, you see all the horrible heel stuff that Steen does, you know, mocking him with his own mask and, and stuff like that and yelling at the commentators and the crowd. Um, and yeah, you know, Generico getting busted open, which it's interesting now because you see he obviously rips the mask and you can, not to break kayfabe too much, but you can recognise now the guy who is under that mask because we... <laughs> have that association you you wouldn't have had that at the time if that makes sense because now you you've seen his full face so you know you make that connection which was interesting going back and watching it now um with that kind of perspective on it but the other side of it was like all the people would say overbooking at the end but i think again it it's stuff you can do when the story allows for it so obviously Carino running in and bringing out the chair that <laughs> Steen had used to turn on Generico a year ago and Cabana comes out Todd Sinclair takes a brutal bump <laughs> at one point off the apron um which was crazy um say again Bryce Remsburg as well or was that yeah. this one was like no, this was it. Yeah, he takes the yeah. package pile driver, I think. So yeah, it all it all kind of adds to the drama, which is something that again some places go to that well too often, but when it works in the terms of the story, it, it can work really effectively and <clears throat> it all leads to that great finish where Generico has the chair, Steen sort of begging him <laughs> and giving him the mask, you know not wanting him to hit it and yeah generico drops the mask and hits him anyway to win um yeah i think in terms of the story it was it was it was really well put together but i can see why it's it's a bit fractured in places so i can i can see why what you mean and what they mean about it's not you know it's not the best thing they would ever do yeah I, I will also point out, everyone involved in this match, including all the referees, and apart from Dave Prozac, either works for AEW, New Japan, or WWE. Yeah. Now, Perino works for WWE. Kelly works for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Rensberg and Todd Phillips, not, Todd, I'm trying to remember the other referee. He, they Todd both Sinclair. work for AEW. Tolkien Sinclair is still senior referee at Ring of Honor, but the other referee, Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul thingy. Um, he, Paul Gordon and, yeah, Paul Gordon, isn't it? Paul Gordon and Bryce Rensburg both work for AEW. Um, obviously, the, the two wrestlers involved work for WWE. 
oh sorry protege of one of the wrestlers <laughs> Colt Cabana at Steve Carino works for WWE and Colt Cabana works for AEW so like the, they laid out the history of pro wrestling with this matchup and it's hard to believe it's 10 years ago because of look at the things that have happened since then really it's quite remarkable and then you've got that main event or the main event or the last match of the Generico story is Chris Daniels versus uh, El Generico and I think that's the best match on the card, to be honest with you, because Daniels is so good. And it, mm. it, there's less clutter because it's a match that had no story and it's a feel-good ending. And the thing about Generico for me, okay, the thing I want to remember about Generico and watching Generico wrestle is he may have had the potential to be the best babyface I ever saw. And it never really got fulfilled, only in certain places. And one of the few times it completely got fulfilled was the night he won the television title from Chris Daniels. That was yes. brilliant, yes. well executed, it was well put together, and it was Cornette who did it for all his faults. He knew where to make money, and he knew where we would get the best pop and the best reaction he could, and he cashed in all that goodwill from Steen Eric, the Steen Erico feud in that moment, and it worked really well. And I think the match was compelling, and Daniels was outstanding in that time period. You know, His work in TNA was outstanding in that time period, despite the fact he was wrestling up hell all the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was the right guy at the right time to do that job, and it worked out well. And you managed to protect Daniels because Truth Martini wasn't there, and there was all sorts of little sort of things that worked in that match's favor. It was well booked, well executed, and well worth a watch to show you how to do wrestling properly in a modern style. I'm kind of like, I think it was the best of Cornette's ideas in that matchup, and it was certainly best of Cornette's kind of like mentoring in that matchup not necessarily the stuff we tend to get from Cornette these days. What are your thoughts mm. on that? Yeah, and I think I think in general, like, in this era from, like, early to mid Ring of Honor, shall we say, I think generally the booking was quite good in that way. They knew how to protect guys in losses and, you know, keep stories going and things like that. Um, it's interesting, like, because this was a real earned moment and earned title win but again like reading back up on this stuff I know there was frustrations particularly from Steen that he felt like they'd set Generico up to be to go and win the world title and then it just never happened he was sort of dropped back into the mid card and then he got this title win the TV title and it was great but he only sort of held it for a couple of months and it was kind of as we touched on it was Cornette doing it despite himself in some ways and because he didn't like the guys involved but he knew you know he knew that generico was hugely popular basically um so i think there's there's part of it where you watch this and go this is brilliant and i think it is a fantastic match but there's that idea of maybe what could have been if another guy was in charge potentially um I mean, in terms of Generico as a babyface and his um, protege, shall we say, <laughs> I I fully agree. I think from Sami Zayn, when he was in NXT, when he was probably at his best, um, I think he really benefited from the fact that he'd worn a mask for so long because he's so good are getting sympathy by how he, you know, uses yeah. his body, you know, in a way that Rey Mysterio is fantastic at it. You know, the best guys who work under masks, they have to be, use their mannerisms to communicate stuff more. And it meant that when 
Sami Zayn didn't have a mask, he he then added the facial expressions on top of that, and I think it made him an even better babyface. It's just a shame that it wasn't always recognized by the company but certainly when he was in nxt he they got it you know he was phenomenal at that um but yeah in in terms of this match um the i fully agree on christopher daniels being you know fantastic i think he's sometimes slightly overlooked in being part of that incredible generation you know aj joe punk brian he was one of those guys as well um who was having all these amazing matches obviously that triple threat and tna being the big famous one um and i'm glad he's getting his moment in AEW because i think he in some ways was slightly the not the forgotten man of that generation, but you know what I mean? He didn't get the same opportunities as some of his peers, which always seemed disappointing to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think he's, yeah, he's so good in this match as, like, being a dick, (laughs) basically. Being, you know, very good heel opposite Generico of, you know, the way he's his mannerisms and taunting the crowd and acting like he's going to do one thing. And then, you know, he just, <laughs> he's trying to get like a, you've still got it chant going and stuff like that. And tries to do the BMA, BME when he's got the belt on and things like that. And what was interesting as well was watching across the three matches and kind of, you could track Generico's character as well, which is when we were talking earlier how I think while Generico from in the first match was maybe quite green, you can see he always got the character side of things really intrinsically. And like at this point when like Daniels is trying to trick him and offer him a handshake in the the classic heel way, that Generico doesn't fall for it. Whereas in the first match in you know 2008 that's something that he probably would have fallen for so um i think it's interesting to be able to track that also the craziest moment of the match the thing everyone remembers is the the coast to coast sent on which is just ridiculous that he actually pulls that off yeah it's 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 an outstanding match and i think it shows it kind of caps off that that selection really well and mm. show and development from Four years earlier, really, you know, or well, no, three years earlier. The three-year story that is well executed in that particular collection. So we move on to the Kevin Steen collection, which opens with his biggest moment in Ring of Honor, really. His match with Davey Richards for the Wing of Honor World Championship at Border Wars on the 5th of December 2012. And I can remember how much buzz there was for this match because Steen mm-hmm. had been vocal and they turned it into an angle and executed it really well that his... His dislike of Jim Cornette and Jim Cornette's dislike of him had bulled over into reality. And there was a famous press conference where Steen swinging a loaded dreaded tennis racket comes to attack Cornette and says, oh, you're being real. I'm being realistic. Look, I'm using a tennis racket. Um, <laughs> just like you did back in the day. And Cornette bubbling under with anger, which really wasn't particularly well hidden. <laughs> um and David Richards is at the press conference looking slightly bewildered and says, and Steen demands a championship shot. And 
Davy Richards said, yeah, okay then. And still, Cornette turns to him. And one of the best moments I've seen, Cornette turns to him and says, can you beat him? So of course I can beat him. You're on. Which was, of course, Cornette's big mistake, his big moment of hubris. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, the ideal story to tell because Cornette then spends the next year regretting what he's done. And it is all his fault. Arguably, Cornette was regretting signing with Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah, of he must Cornette. have hated the fact that... Because by this point, Kevin Steen was the guy. He was the most over guy in the company. And again, it just kind of flies in the face of everything Cornette wants wrestling to be, I suppose. Yes, and also the fact that Cornette was going through hell on earth with the production team at the time. Um, one of the guys um, who is currently a higher up in Ring of Honor uh, was the videotape guy and I can't remember his name but you remember last year there was all that trouble with Joey Mercury and uh, uh, Kelly who was the champion and they they both quit after she got sent home with concussions and it was was an executive of Ring of Honor who insisted they go to work yeah that was that Mm. guy Right. Uh, Cornette despised him for obvious reasons because he was a guy who'd never been involved in wrestling, who knew, who thought he knew how wrestlers should work and how they should be treated. And right. Cornette, for all his faults, will protect the boys and girls to the to his dying breath. You know, he will look after wrestlers. That's one thing he, from their physical well-being point of view. And they were booking massive ice arenas in January, and it was three degrees, and then they were going to Pittsburgh. They did a show in Pittsburgh some, at some point, and they got Bruno Sammartino as a guest, and of course it was a massive crowd. Oh, we should go back to Pittsburgh next month. And then they couldn't understand why there was only 200 people there. Because <laughs> we just got there. It's <laughs> loads, you know, Joe Poff wanted Cornette to be on commentary, he wanted him to be the matchmaker, and he wanted to book and do TV production. Well, Cornette was slowly, slightly going mad, so he got Nigel McGuinness to come in to be the matchmaker, as we see later on in this tape. So we yeah. could take the pressure. He asked him to commentate so we could take the pressure off. And then Koff was complaining, well, nobody understands what Nigel McGuinness says because he's got a funny accent. He said, like, don't worry, let him calm down. And eventually it just gets too much for Kinect and eventually he just walks off because he can't handle the pressure anymore because everything is conspiring against him. <laughs> We're down with work pressure that only Jim Cornette could live through. <laughs> 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 His little blue vein was throbbing at the temple. To be fair to Jim, now let's be honest, Jim is not our friend currently because of the things he said. He blocked Mike Freeland on Twitter. Well, I, you can't do things like that. Um, but Boo, boo, hiss, boo. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the Cornette does make money, does made a lot of money out of dissing people like Steen and the Young Butts, who are close friends. And actually, we're running as a six-man tag team at this particular time as well. Um, and it, he, he has made money out of complaining about the way modern wrestling works. Having said that, his, some of his decision-making in this particular process was not bad at all. And once he kind of got on board with Steen as being the guy, they did the right thing. And this matchup is really, really good. And the funny thing is, in the people involved in this particular matchup, Jimmy Jacobs is still producing for independent wrestling and he's producing for Impact Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Kevin Steen is a big star in WWE. Nigel McGuinness is in WWE. Kevin Kelly is in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Talking Sinclair's still there. But Davey Richards is driving an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Not long after this, he was done. You know, it, And 
Cornette's maintenance that Richards looked like the future of pro wrestling, and certainly did in this matchup. And after the hot run he'd had in Ring of Honor, he certainly looked like the future of professional wrestling. If you were going to put money on anyone being WWE heavyweight champion, it was going to be David Richards, not Kevin Steen. But that's not the way it worked out because Richards actually has more personality issues than Steen does as far as professionalism is concerned. Notice he didn't have his big retirement in Ring of Honor, which he probably mm-hmm. should have done, but he bridges with Ring of Honor. His retirement came on a small indie card in New York. You know, he 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 left Impact Wrestling under a slight cloud, you know. Uh, it it's uh yeah, it it's interesting. And it's also the point that they let he him and Eddie Edwards left Impact Wrestling sorry, left Ring of Honor to go to Impact Wrestling, just as Ring of Honor was starting to take over from Impact Wrestling as the second biggest in North America. You know. Now they made money and Eddie Edwards is still there and he's still making money in Impact Wrestling. But they were always associated as Ring of Honor guys. And it 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 really is interesting the politics of this match. The match is excellent quality. David Richards is absolutely on point as Ring of Honor World Champion, looks every inch the champion. The dynamic of the match is a bit strange because obviously Steen's the mega heel, but he <laughs> walks into the Canadian crowd and is an absolute hero, and Richards has to flip the switch and call up his heel because he's not going to get any traction as a babyface. And he realizes that pretty much as soon as he walks down the aisle, he's getting pooed out the building because he's Cornette's hand-picked champion. Mm. And I, they all work that dynamic so superbly well. What are your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I think that's why it works so well as well, because Davy Richards, yeah, the crowd were seeing him not just as Obviously, they were going to be pro-Steam because it was in Canada. That's why they did it, <laughs> you know, here. That's why they waited to do it here because it was the perfect place to do it. Um, but yeah, Richard's being seen as behind the scenes as the hand-bit cornet guy. It's again, it's all this art imitating real-life stuff. And we've seen those storylines so much in wrestling, particularly, you know, the authority guy against the anti authority rebel yeah. that's worked quite well quite a few times you might know from wrestling history um, well, i will point out it only works when you've got the right people doing it at the same time yes exactly Dean and Cornette, Dean and Cornette are the perfect mix the man and austin was the perfect mix the man and the rock didn't work as well mm. well they've tried to do it you know since in WWE, you know, in recent years where they try and force it a little bit more and it always works better, you know, when they did it with Daniel Bryan because he was, it was, he was actually being seen as being held down and people got behind him because of that. Whereas if you use, um, say when they were trying to do it with Roman Reigns, it doesn't work as well because people now know behind the scenes that Roman is WWE's guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you say, the match itself is is just great, and it's interesting because I think Steen said on a WWE documentary that he felt like the title change was too late in his career, almost where he'd almost peaked beyond that point because he was so popular at that point that it was like they'd waited a little bit too long to pull the trigger on it, but. You don't get that watching it. You know, it's it feels like the perfect moment because it's in front of the Canadian crowd and they're so desperate to see it happen. And it's, you know, it's going to happen. And that isn't yeah. always 
the worst thing. It's like when, um, to use another Ring of Honor example, when Homicide won the title in New York, they built the storyline in a similar way where he, that one was he would leave Ring of Honor if he didn't win the title that night. So you know he's going to win it, but the fact that it's in his hometown and everything else, sometimes doing the obvious thing is the right thing, (laughs) which is something that wrestling forgets sometimes, I think. At its best, sometimes you need the cathartic moment at the end of a big run where the crowd see the thing that they have been waiting to see. You don't need to swerve everyone all the time, basically. Um, And yeah, the crowd, like you say, are... They're very pro Steen, very anti Davy Richards to the point that they're like in his face, swearing at him whenever he comes near them. Like it's very kind of hostile, um, but it just adds to the whole atmosphere and their their need to see Steen win. And even though he is doing quite heelish things, like slamming him balls first into um, the turnbuckle pole, um, it works, you know, and he is the anti-authority guy, so it just adds to it. And yeah, the whole anti-ROH feel as well in how Steen looks and how the whole start of the match is on the outside and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I think it's, they worked it in a very different way, but yeah, which was perfect to the story and the crowd at that time. And yeah, the the pop when he wins um, and the finish is very true to Steen as well, because he ends up sort of cheating to win it by um, dropping him into the exposed turnbuckle and then finally hitting the package pile driver to win after, obviously, they'd been working the knee injury and Richards had been working it over for the whole match to build the drama. So, yeah, it was just really well done. And, yeah, I thought Nigel on commentary as well, as you, you mentioned him before, was great and just really funny when he's talking about <laughs> Steen putting Richard's gum shield in his mouth and just that's that's just unhygienic like he could just came out with so many funny little clips that yeah which people who watch NXT regularly now will know he he still does on commentary so yeah really really good package it was also like the commentary on this like it's a year removed from the last match commentary and the production values of Ring of Honor have like improved so much because yes, yeah, on- noticeably. Dave Brazak's commentary is bloody awful. I'm sorry, <laughs> Dave. Just sounds dreadful. There's also the issue which they still haven't fixed by this point, right? When you shoot a wrestling match, you're supposed to plug the audio feed from the sound desk in the building into the audio feed at the video editing equipment. And this basic principle of television production seemed to have slipped Ring of Honor by because they couldn't afford Nog's cable, apparently. <laughs> it's meant the sound quality is dreadful. You don't hear any sound reactions from the fans because there's no planted microphones in the audience. The, camera fo- the cameras don't have mics, which in the early days of Ring of Honor, I could forgive. But by mm. this point, they'd have two or three TV contracts for crying out loud. They should know better. You know, and I think under the auspices of Kevin Kelly, who came after came in after Cornet, kind of took over the booking a little bit, kind of took over a lot of the production values. Things improved greatly, and when they got that um, contract with the HD Net, which ended up being what Access TV is now, when they got the contract with HD Net, 
they they had to improve their their TV quality because it was HD net. You know, one of the, one of the attractions mm-hmm. of HD net. Mm-hmm. You're watching high definition television. <laughs> you know, it, but it did look like it had been shot by three pimply teenagers. To be honest mm. with you, mm. uh, originally, so it, the actual production the, it's just less annoying. Kevin Kelly and Nigel McGuinness, Steve Carino doing a cracking job on commentary in the next matchup, which is the ladder war for Kevin Steen versus El Generico. He comes in on commentary too, because obviously Carino had turned babyface with Steen leaving the company. Um, and then mm-hmm. there was a slow heel turn for Carino as he comes back in uh, as a heel. Just my last word on this match. Davy Richards, less than six months after this match, had a match in the Ancombe Leisure Centre, Scorby Brook Bridge, Brig, less than 500 yards from where I'm sat now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he wrestled a local guy from Grimsby on a Grimsby Promotions card. And it was literally like nobody knew who he was. You know, he, he did cut a promo because he, he basically comes to the tour, had a night cancelled, and he ended up in Brick because that's what you do if you're on tour. You ask if the pros have got a free slots. It was Robbie X, actually. That's who he was wrestling. So, you know, Robbie X, stalwart of the British indie scene, uh, you know, um, World of Sport, ITV wrestling wrestler, WS wrestler, was wrestling Davy Richards in a sports hall in Brig, like less than six months after this matchup. We showed you Richards was kind of like on a world tour, but he was between jobs and he was trying to get some experience in and going to different places and learning different things. He had a cracking match against Spider the following week in, in Cleethorpes, actually, of all places. Um, but again, he was, he kind of burnt his bridges and it tells a big political story. You know, he was waiting for his time to come up in Impact Wrestling when him and Eddie Edwards, along with MVP, did that big invasion angle in 2013. But this seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it, really? Yeah, no, I remember, like, Davey Richards was the the next guy. Like, it, it definitely felt like that at the time, and he was the guy who was having... It was kind of, like, old school, I guess. You know, there were yeah. a lot of comparisons to, like, Dynamite Kid and Benoit and the way it worked, and it felt like he was, you know, this... He was a really good wrestler where he was getting you know, five-star reviewed matches and stuff like that. And then, yeah, you're right. For him to just, you know, retire and very quietly and disappear now when he was, you know, we might talk about um, Tyler Black's Ring of Honor run um, on on a future show. Um, And his match with Davey Richards is the one that, now Seth Rollins, of course, points to as his best match before he signed with WWE. That's the one he always cites as his best match. Um, yeah. And yeah, look where Seth Rollins is now and look where Davey Richards is now. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, to be fair to Davey, he's recently been divorced from Angelina Love. They had a child together. There was a lot of things going on in his life, you know, um, which probably played into the fact of the retirement of his wrestling career. Maybe he just wanted to settle down. Maybe he was done. Mm. You know? mm. But equally, it, it's, it, it is a, a, a guy who had an awful lot to give to the industry isn't there anymore. And well, I know... What... Sorry, I know during this time, I think he was thinking about retiring even after he dropped the belt in this match. So, yeah, yeah that, that kind of shows you it was something he was was maybe always in the back of his mind. Yeah. I mean, and as well, when he goes to Impact Wrestling, 
and they start him off in the tag team with the American Wolves. And it's great because the American Wolves are a great tag team. They're an mm. all-time great tag team. And they should be kind of like put in the same breath as the Young Bucks and, you know, Machine Guns and uh, the Briscoes and all the great Ring of Honor tag teams. They should be mentioned in the same breath as them. But it was a hell of a drop-off for Ring of Honor, the heavy, a Ring of Honor champion. You know, he, him and Eddie Edwards should really have gone into the top of that company and been, you know, powered their way through because they were top-line guys who could draw. But that's a different story for a different day. Because we're talking about Steen Erico. So let's move on to the next one. <laughs> Kevin Steen and Al Generico in the final battle match of 2012. Ladder War 4, 16th of December 2012, in another epic battle. And you showed how much they'd grown as wrestlers because this has some insane spots in it, let's be honest. But the actual story was stronger and better told in this particular matchup. And obviously, the obvious thing, Steen has to retain the title to bury the ghost of Generico. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. story off on another journey because Generico then gets the chance to come back and build himself to another finish. And I thought this was, I actually enjoyed this more. I think it could have been shorter because because they took far too many bumps and there was necessary. They only needed about three bumps to make this match work and they took about seven because they could and they didn't yeah. really need to. Um, well, they're both, but, they're both nutters, aren't they? So I think that's part of it. <laughs> It's, yes, it just seemed it seemed over overly well done, if you see what I mean. So this was mm-hmm. this was probably Steen at his best and showed what his championship run was about. Again, it's rallying against Ring of Honor. This isn't a straight up and down athletic contest. This is a war for two people who hate each other. What's your yeah. thoughts on it, Alex? And three three years on from the turn as well. So obviously. Yeah kind of set up as their final showdown, but I don't know if people knew that at the time. It was obviously set up by that really famous moment where Steen gets delivered the box after a title defence, opens it, and Generico's mask is inside when Generico's been um, away for a while. I can't remember if he was out with injury or he'd been um, on excursion at other places at the time. I think I can remember watching him tag with Pac and Dragon Gate, so he'd probably gone another six months there, I would think. Yeah, so that was probably the Dragon Gate time. Yeah, but yeah, so this was his kind of, he was returning to the promotion. But, um, I mean, first of all, again, like they had to fight hard to make this match happen because even though Jim Cornette had stepped down as the match booker at the time, he was still there. And I think, I think Generico wouldn't even talk to Cornette by this point. So it was quite difficult to, Steen was having to like negotiate this match into place, to be honest. Um and they were they were desperate for it. It had to happen at this show because not just because it was you know the perfect place three years on from the turn. It's the end of the the story. But Generico was leaving. You know this was he hadn't officially signed with WWE by this point. But I think it was like days away, and they knew it was days away. So they had they were like we have to do this now, or we're not going to get this finish to this story we've been telling for three years in Ring of Honor and, you know, he would just go obviously to Mexico to work with the orphans, as we know. He would just he would just go and that would be the end of it, you know, without any real conclusion. So um so yeah, first of all it's good that it, it happened. Oh, and then one final element is Kevin Steen had the flu as well, apparently, during this match, which I don't I don't think you know watching it, but yeah, he said he was throwing up ten minutes before he had to go through the curtain and have this 
brutal war to end the biggest feud of his career at that point. It looked, it looked, to be honest with you, he looked massive as well. And I don't mean like pumped, I mean just fat. There's <laughs> no getting around with it. Because, you know, one of the biggest knocks Cornette had on Steen was the fact he didn't look like an athlete. And once he won the belt, he just stopped caring, clearly. <laughs> but it didn't seem to affect his cardio at all. He could still go forever. But as he got, he, he looks a lot better and a lot trimmer now. Cornette's yeah. maintained since then. You know, his success in WWE was, and Cornette probably quite rightly said, well, yeah, but he's done everything that I told him to do in Ring of Honor, which was lose weight, look more athletic, and keep talking. You know, he's the, and, and Cornette has said, look, he's one of the best talkers I've ever worked with. You know, he's, mm. he's an incredible interview. He can talk people into seats, but his attitude doesn't mesh with my attitude to what wrestling should be. So, mm. you know, it's, I think, yeah, I think Steen got better after this purely from a from a physical in-ring point of view because he started caring about his body shape more and started getting lean again. And one of the reasons why he signed with WWE is because he looked like he knew what he was doing. He also had a recommendation from The Rock, who was a big fan of his, especially during his title run. Yeah, well, that's that's a pretty good recommendation to get, to be fair. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like Steen and, Steen and um, Sami Zayn, shall we say, um, they're kind of their personalities. It, it almost doesn't like link up with this politics behind the scenes because they're so like unproblematic as people. <laughs> like they're always, you know, they always come across really well in interviews. They always, they always seem to be. They just seem like good people, if that makes sense. They're always, you know, fighting for the right things, it feels like. So it's interesting that there was so much friction there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's... Well, Cornette's got a spiky personality, let's be honest. Yeah, that's but, one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> he does, and he likes things done a certain way. And I don't necessarily think it was all Steen and Generico's fault. You know, you look at what Cornette said about his time in Ring of Honor, it was high pressure for him from the get-go. You know, they had plenty of money to spend for a change, except it wasn't getting spent in the right places. Like, his argument with Ring of Honor at the time was, as far as he was concerned, when it comes to procurement, you get the best job for the best money you can. That doesn't mean you get your friend to do it because he's cheap. Mm. You get, like, the, the time they were trying to get on a club off the ground and they were trying to run their own streaming service, which was... You've got to bear in mind, this is 2011, and you look at around, or 2010, you look well, around at the scene. Was, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, when Cornette was having issues, this was around 2010, 2011, and you look around the scene at the time, and the best people doing it was Smart Mark Video, because they looked mm. after Caesar, mm. NW, Shikara, IWA, and they still do. Okay, now most of those companies have their own streaming service, but it's all hosted by Smart Mark Video. So the obvious thing to do is to pay Smart Mark Video. Right, all ring spots who were ring sorry high spots who were also doing something similar and had a load of rights to ring one of stuff in the past. There's ways and means you can do it using outside vendors. But what did they do? They hired their own guy and did it themselves, and then got loads of complaints when everything kept failing. Mm. And you had pay per view matches that were dropping off because no one could get connections and the service speed wasn't fast enough. And Cornette's not an IT guy, let's be honest, but he understands like you know. <laughs> He was getting complaints about qualities of the product when it was nothing to do with the wrestler's fault, it was nothing to do with the storyline's fault, nothing to do with his fault. It was all down to the fact that money decisions were being made because 
they were trying to save cash instead of putting investing money in properly, which is what they should have been doing. And, uh, you know, I don't think it is necessarily down to Steen Erico that, that Cornet had issues with them. I think he probably would have had issues, but I don't think they would have been as pronounced as they have been because mm. of mm. the pressure he was under at the time. And in, Cornet's an intense guy. You know, you can't deny that. He's a guy who takes a situation and ramps it up because that's the way he works. And look at the guys he grew up in the industry with. They were the same way. You know, people like um, Jerry, Jerry Jarrett and people like Ollie Anderson and uh, Bill Watts. These are intense, intense individuals, and that's who you learn the business from. And Steen and Generico come from a different generation, a different country, a different style of wrestling, a different style of character development and storytelling. And there's no way that they can always mesh the way you expect them to. <laughs> I think. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's just go on to our final match. We're going to oh, can I um, can I talk about the the match itself? Sorry, that was very um around the <laughs> around the, the situation around it. But yeah, the match itself. Um, yeah, I I agree with you that this is a better put together piece of work than the match two years previous. I think this is really great and i agree that they took some ludicrous bumps like they're just they're just mad both of them i think it's the problem with that because you know some of the bumps like steam takes like head first onto ladders and stuff it is like you probably don't need to do that kevin <laughs> to be honest um i think in terms of on the other side like when he he's beaten up generico like i'm not sure anyone takes a more sympathetic ladder bump than generico like the way he sort of flips and clatters his body into them like he manages to make it look even more brutal which again comes back to like the working under a mask thing and how well he would use his mannerisms to to sell yeah Um, but you can also see the marks on his back by the end of the match like it's it's pretty brutal um and yeah like Steen's obviously talking throughout the match, which comes back to what you were saying earlier about how good he is on the mic and stuff, you know. Um, he's just having a go at the crowd throughout and having a go at Generico throughout. And the finish, he he basically says, you know, this ends now um, before he package pile drives Generico through through the bridge ladder between other ladders, which is, yeah, a yeah. brutal finish. Um and yeah, it's just really good. Like with like callbacks to their previous matches. To there's a callback to like the first ladder war they had against the Briscoes, where that massive ladder gets brought out by people, which was they did in the very first match. Which obviously it was them against the Briscoes. So um, yeah, there were nice callbacks to that as well. Um, and yeah, I guess that the only shame was um, I didn't realize until I was reading up that it went because it was pay-per-view and live it, it was running long so they basically steam gets the belt just about in time um like a minute before they're going off air and manages to celebrate with the title but apparently yeah. after it went off air they did a thing where you know steam picks up generico um and sort of they don't like you know make up or shake hands or anything but just this kind of acknowledgement that this feud was over now 
you know, it was it was for like to put kind of a full stop on it. And unfortunately, that that I don't think has ever made it on video by the sounds of it. No, no, it's one of these things lost to history. But again, it outlines the production values production value issues that Cornette was having with the company at the time, which led to yeah. his departure. It wasn't really Steen and Generico that kind of run him out of the building. It was more to do with the backstage stuff they were having issues with. Yeah, it kind of brings uh, it full circle in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we move on to the last one, which really doesn't have anything to do with anything. It was Kevin mm. Steen versus Shinji mm. Nakamura at War of the Worlds in the 17th of May 2014. This Ring of Honor New Japan deal has been going for about six or seven years now. You forget how long they've been doing this. Um, and this was one of the strange little byproducts. Obviously, Steam by this point had dropped the title to Jay Briscoe the previous year, and it kind of was kind of on a long farewell tour of having fun matches as a babyface. He wasn't really a heel by this point; he was just too popular. Um, and he'd actually his I think his probably his last major contribution to Ring of Honor was this match and giving a pep talk to Jay Briscoe. You know, when Briscoe uh, lost the title through forfeit because he was injured. And uh, he was miserable about handing the title over. It was Kevin Steen who went to me and said, it took you to beat me, you at your best. And I'm incredibly proud of that, so don't ruin it for me. <laughs> Which was a really, really intense promo um, in a kind, calm, caring way. And yeah, I think this was this matchup with Nakamura was kind of a product of that. It wasn't deep, serious pro wrestling as you kind of ex- come to expect from Ring of Honor. It was two guys who kind of were having fun, and it worked that way. It wasn't the best Nakamura match I've ever seen. It wasn't the best Steam match I've ever seen, but it certainly happened and was mm. pretty good for what mm. it was. What are your thoughts on this one, Alex? Yeah, well, we obviously spoke about Generico Obushi earlier, whereas, you know, Steam Nakamura, the time it happened, this was fully a dream match by this time. This was like two of the top guys in their companies, like Steen, the top guy in Ring of Honor, really, in terms of popularity. Nakamura, 2014, right up there. Obviously, you've got Tanahashi and Okada as well, but Nakamura was one of the main guys um, in terms of popularity. This was his... As Karina points out on on the commentary, this was him at his full pomp. This was him as the great wrestler and the big draw. You know, this was yeah. the knack of to no one look. Yeah, this was him intercontinental title reign, tearing it up every month, Nakamura. Um, and yeah, it's funny watching it, knowing that they would both end up in WWE not too long after this. Steen, like you say, went pretty soon after this. This was kind of his farewell tour, but I don't think any of us would have seen Nakamura ending up there a few years uh, after this you- at all. No, well, actually, within twelve months, both of them were there. Oh right, it was that soon. In fact, yeah, I forget how long Nakamura's actually been there now. If it was May two thousand and fourteen, it was January. Nakamura handed his notice in January the fourth, two thousand fifteen, with AJ Styles and Gallows and Anderson. Yeah, of course, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, you, the fact that so Nakamura's been there five years—that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> that is wild. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, this match like was a dream match. But like you say, it wasn't a classic per se. I think it was a really good match. You know, they only got about 15 minutes to work with, but they managed to have a fun 
match in the time they get. The crowd is red hot for it, obviously, seeing these two guys square off. And it's very much like, it's almost like a charisma one-upsmanship <laughs> at times because they're both being so them. You know, they're both yeah. being so funny and, you know, really likable and charismatic. You know, Steen's mimicking Nakamura's moves. He's... You know, when uh, Nakamura tries to do the good vibrations and he grabs his foot and he's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And um, obviously the moment when Steam goes for that running senton off the apron and Nakamura just casually moves out the way. Um, I think that's basically like iconic now because it's so it's so funny how casually Nakamura just walks out the way of it. It's very classic Shinsuke. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a really fast-paced, fun 15 minutes, isn't it? You know, the final stretch is great, as you'd expect. Um, Steen countering like the Bommier into the pop-up powerbomb, countering into a suplex off the top turnbuckle. And then, yeah, the finish was nicely done when we spoke earlier about Ring of Honor protecting guys well in losses when they're at their best. And this was, you know... Steen kicks out the first Bommier at one, then takes the second, and that's the finish, um, which was a nice way to finish a match at sort of the 14, 15-minute mark, but still keep Steen looking strong. So, yeah, it was just fun. And also, can I say how much I've missed Shinsuke Nakabura's New Japan music? Because <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> since I've heard that great riff. Um, so that yeah. was nice as well. Yes, it's all a bit remarkable this match when you think about it. It's like a bit of a pivot point in history, and yeah, I think it. I think it's worth, well, worth another watch. And it, it's five years removed. You look at their body of work since, and it, yeah, they've earned good money. Have they done as well as they did with this stuff? It's a bit of a question to say, artistically mm-hmm. speaking. Probably not because they're not in the right environment for them to do what they need to do. But they've made a ton of money in doing it, and that's good for them because they should deserve it. But there we go. Mm. Well, I think, I think, um, sorry, just to finish up, I think, you know, Kevin Owens has has had his moments in WWE, certainly more than Nakamura has, unfortunately. Um, But it's funny, you know, I was thinking this when we were talking about the Cornette stuff and and storylines, like, (laughs) he kind of, Kevin Owens kind of hasn't escaped that either, because you look at... um, his best feud probably other than him and Sami Zayn in WWE was him and Jericho where they put so much time and effort into it. And then they just got chucked on second at that year's WrestleMania to make time for the part-timers coming in to go into the main event. So yeah, poor Kev can't, can't quite ever <laughs> escape this stuff apparently of, of bookers not, maybe not always treated him the best. No, that's the way it is. But that's that. That's the way pro wrestling works, unfortunately, unless you actually start booking the company yourself. Um, mm. As you know, certain people have taken into their own hands. Yeah, certain them. certain friends of those two guys as well have taken into their own hands. <laughs> okay, then. Well, that's the Troopany Show for today. Thank you for listening to our Ring of Honor retrospective. I think we'll probably do another one of those because we've got a couple in the bag to think about. So thank you very much to Mr. Alex Watts. How, thank you very much for your time. Where can we find you on Twitter and your media outlets? Um, well, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Twitter is at 
Alex Watt 187 also acted at Cross for the podcast. If there's anyone looking for some nostalgic football chat in the next few weeks, um, on top of their nostalgic wrestling chat, um, and yeah, this was it was nice to relive the Steam Generico stuff because it has been years since I've since I've watched those matches and watched those angles. So yeah, it was cool. Okay, then. You can find The Troopany Show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and you can find us on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. I am Sheriff Lone Star. We'll be back next week, and we'll be looking at Tokyo Joshi Pro from the 4th of January. We're going back in time with our good friend Ash Rose Nova as we look at uh, a bit of a modern history lesson in Joshi Pro Wrestling, and the first time we've looked at Tokyo Joshi Pro. So we'll see you then. Take care. Bye. And stop recording. If you'll let me stop. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.